Good morning, everyone. Good to see everybody here this morning. We're <laughs> studying Matthew chapter 5. We're really ready to look at verse 41, but as a group, we're looking at verses 38 through 42. So that's where we're going to pick up this morning. If you will, please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, Father. We praise you and thank you for your word that tells us of your plan. Your plan for us as your children, your plan for salvation. We thank you and praise you for those plans, Father, that it was your love for us and the Lord Jesus, his love for us that this plan was carried out, that we would be able to be your children and have this relationship with you, Father. We ask that you would be with us in our study of your word. Help us to learn what you want us to know, Father. Help us to learn to follow you correctly, to be your children and act like you, Father, in our everyday lives. We thank you, Father, for all the blessings you give us, for everything you give us that enables us to, to be here, enables us to live. We thank you for all those things, Father, and we thank you most of all for your Son, who did give himself for us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So looking at our verses here, Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. And we were talking about this having to do with more of an individual sense of justice and how we act towards others. And we're really ready to look at verse 41. If we look at verse 41, he's talking about where it says we're compelled or we're forced, right? Let me uh, just look at that again. Whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. The compel is forced. It's not like you have an option. You can't opt out. You, you must do this. You are forced to do this. So to be clear, it's the same word that they use for uh, Simon when he is compelled to carry the cross for Jesus. He doesn't, he's not given an option. He's forced to do it. So it's that same word. Now, in that verse 41, when we are compelled or forced to go one mile, what are we to do according to Jesus? Go beyond that, right? Go a second mile. A lot of times is what our Bibles will say. Go the second mile. Now, we need to kind of understand the Romans, and that's why I have this picture up here. There's uh, there's also mention of like a similar thing with a like Persian mail carrier. But in Jesus' day, the thing was they were being occupied by the Romans. And a Roman soldier a lot of times would have a lot of gear he had to carry around. And it was within their right to force someone to help them carry all that junk with them to wherever they needed to go. I, that's, that's the best way I know to put it, just all that junk. But anyway, so he could force you to help him carry, carry his stuff. 
And this was kind of another injustice, another insult to the people because these guys were occupiers, right? They weren't your buddy. They were the enemy of your nation, right? So, but Jesus is telling us to go another mile with him to help him more. Now, I don't want to carry my own stuff, much less your stuff or someone else's stuff. So I just, you know, that's just human nature, right? We don't want to carry all that extra stuff. But Jesus is telling us to be kind to our enemy, even in this type of situation. Now, why would we do this extra help or extra work, you know, more than is required? Why, why would be a good reason to do this? Yes, Eddie. The good reason to do it is to show that we are willing to do what the Lord demands us to do. And another thing is, the Romans love the idea of forcing people to do things. Because look, I'm your boss. You're going to do what I say. Well, then they had to carry that load for a mile. And then the poor person who was carrying was, I will just go with you another mile to help you out. That had to take some of the pride out of the Roman that was forcing this real right. on people. Right, so one is we're doing this because we're told to do this, right? But two, like Eddie's saying, there's also this idea that, and it, it can vary, but let's say the Roman soldier in this case uh, is filling his oats, so to speak, and he's better than you, he's above you, and so he knows you have to do it, and he's making you do that. And then you turn around and say, well, I'll just, I'll just go another mile with you. And it just kind of takes maybe a little bit of that pride out of him or a little whatever. But anyway, it just it's showing you that you're act it's showing that you're acting like the Lord. And it may cause him to wonder why you'd be willing to do that, right? Um I've worked like I used to work loading trucks at a warehouse, and we did a lot most of that by hand. So it was hard work. And I remember how it is like when you're working hard, you've got all this you have to do and you're sweating. And somebody jumps in and helps you, does more than they have to do, but they jump in and help you. You remember that. You remember how kind that person was. You you appreciate that a lot. So it, it actually does make a big difference. Now, another way to think about this is would we feel different about this if that was a U.S. soldier? Would that change the way we think of that maybe a little bit? Because I think it would. I think if it was one of our guys, we'd say, well, yeah, somebody should help him out, right? And then think about if that's your son or your daughter. Again, you're going to think, well, yeah, somebody should help him out, right? They've got all this junk they have to carry. So it's kind of the, the whole idea is to get you to empathize and look at that other person as the human being they are, right? Understand that they're not perfect just like we're not perfect, but to get you to look at them as a human being. And this comes back to what Paul said in Romans 12, verse 21, and we mentioned this last week, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So that's the idea. We should remember we're talking about avoiding resentment and retaliation but instead acting out with kindness. Yes? Another verse that kind of goes with that is in Proverbs 25. Uh -huh. Verses uh, 21 and 22. Proverbs, okay, so we'll look at Proverbs 25. <coughs> 
if my thing will cooperate here. I, I've got it, I, you know, I've got my Bible on my phone. That's what I always do. So uh, Proverbs 25, and look at verses like 21, did you say? 21 and 22, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For so, for so you will heap coals of fire on his head and the Lord will reward you. And this is similar. Paul mentions this. He refers especially to that heaping coals of fire on someone's head. And I think the idea there is kind of to shame them or make them think differently, change their mind. I, I may not totally get the reference. I forget. There was something about people carrying coals of fire on their head, but I don't remember what that was about, if that was a penitent thing or what. But uh, nonetheless, the idea is it may affect them and change their mind, change their heart, right? And that's what Jesus is telling us to do, to have different hearts toward people, to change our heart. Does anybody have anything else on this before we move to really the next verse, which kind of seems like it doesn't belong? Yes? When you mentioned the, what if the American soldier made me think of American history where the British soldiers would uh, force themselves to be allowed to like, stay in your home and stuff. I mean, not carry your stuff, but the same thing. Idea. So yeah. we have the, the Third Amendment our bill of rights based on that like you can't do that you know we're because we have you know we can choose to do that and that's actually part of it we consented the owner to do that so uh this this sense of pride where we don't want to be forced to do stuff that certainly resonates with us as americans too but we need to be giving of service i had forgotten about that and the revolutionary well before the revolutionary war i mean the british soldiers could basically commandeer your house and make you accept them into your house and that was something that we even have the Third Amendment to say that's not allowed anymore. But, uh, but yeah, that was another case similar to that. I had forgotten about that. But I think I've heard of that in the past. Does anybody have anything else? All right. So looking at the next verse, in verse 42, verse 42, like I said, it kind of sounds like it doesn't belong but I, I think it kind of does, okay? Because it's still relating to our hearts and how we're dealing with other people. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. And we think of this in a very monetary way. Um, but what are we to do when someone asks something of us? Be generous? Give, excuse me? Right. Give if we're able, right? We're to help them if we can, right? Yeah. Material things or money, yeah. Right. Could be material things or money. Give give to those who ask you. And if someone wants to borrow from you, do not do not turn them away, which basically means try to help them. Try to you know, maybe you can't maybe maybe you can't loan them a hundred dollars, you know, but maybe you can help them in some other way. So just trying to encourage us again to be kind to others and to understand that they're they can be that we can be in hard places at different times. We can have different needs that we can help each other with. Now, well, we kind of answered this. I was going to say, uh, so give to him who asks you. Would this always be money? No, it could be something else. It could be time, right? It could be a number of things. You could be helping somebody out. It may not be money at all. But now, if we look at an example in the law, we often think of the law as being harsh and unkind. 
But if we look here in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 7 through 11, that might be small. If it is, you can, you can look in your Bible. It's Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 7 through 11. If there is among you a poor man of your brethren within any of the gates in your land, which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from your poor brother, but you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. Beware, lest there be a wicked thought in your heart, saying, The seventh year, the year of release, is at hand. You might remember over seven years, they would just let all the debts go. Everything would be reset. So that's what he's talking about. And your eye be evil against your poor brother, and you give him nothing. And he cry out to the Lord against you, and it becomes sin among you. You shall surely give to him, and your heart should not be grieved when you give to him, because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in all to which you put your hand. If you notice there, he says you should not, your heart should not be grieved. And then in the New Testament, we're told to be cheerful givers, right? So even when we're helping someone, we should be happy to do so, not be sad about it. And then in verse 11, for the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore, I command you saying, you shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor and your needy in your land. And several times he's saying through there, this is people in your land. And while it says brother, brother in this sense just means like countrymen, just whoever's living. Remember, the law was the same for the stranger and for the Israelite. So in this case, the poor and the needy, he's referring to everybody in the land who would be poor and needy. So, so then we look at what Jesus is telling us. And remember, he's teaching from the law. And I think, I think this comes from this idea right here. So how are we to loan to people? Generously, right? With Grudging of what we yeah, we shouldn't be begrudging. Yes. Right, willingly opening our hands. Now, this these verses also relate to giving, but just because we're on that subject of giving and loaning, and then in Luke chapter six, verse thirty-five, Jesus says, "But love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High." for he is kind to the unthankful and the evil. So this would apply to everyone, even our enemies, which kind of what I was talking about with the Roman soldier, if you regard him as your enemy. Yes. I think part of this is that we need to have compassion on one another, especially if we see someone who is in need or a poor person who needs help. Right. We and need to have compassion. And Share our need. Yeah. It's it, it is better to give than to receive. And, and sometimes we need to remember that we've had times where we were in need, where we had to ask for help. And it can be very hard and awful feeling to ask for that help, but sometimes you don't have a choice. Yes, ma'am? I think there can be a dimension of <clears throat> courage as contrasted with fear, too, that you know, we can justify not being generous. Like, you know, I can't loan out my donkey to you know my neighbor for his. Uh, 
farming because I what if what if it gets hurt? You know, there's laws that they can pay it back, but then I'll be inconvenienced and I won't be able to do this or or loaning that money because what if it doesn't pay it back and I have things I need later, and we can be in fear, uh, but we need to be not have a spirit of fear. We need to have some courage and some faith. And just right. Sometimes we can have some fear about loaning things out to someone. Will we get it back if we really need it? Let's say it's not money, like we were talking about. Maybe it's something else. And he was mentioning, for instance, uh, your farm animal. If you loan your farm animal to your neighbor to do his farm, what if your animal gets hurt? And then you're out your farm animal as well, and it could be very difficult. And I think that applies well for their day and time especially. But we could have similar situations. Yes? That fear keeps us from doing the right thing. It's not right. to obey. That fear can keep us from doing the right thing. Right. Following God is not always convenient. I mean, that's something we have to do, though, for, from obedience. So, let's see. Um, so, this again, we're applying this even to our enemies, like we're told. Um, now, looking at that still a little further, why would I lend hoping for nothing in return? I hope that doesn't feel like a trick question, but why would you do that? Yes, man. I know the, the old law has stipulations when you loan to a brother to not do that with interest. Right. So when we're when we're being generous and loaning to our brothers and sisters, it shouldn't be like a money making thing for us. We're not looking for you know what do we get out of it? We're just being generous and loving and kind. Right. We're being generous, loving, kind. We're we're not looking to get something back out of it. We're not looking at it as a money making alternative or chance. Yes. Our, our motive should be love and compassion for that person, understanding that they're in a hard spot, right? And uh, also to be like God, right? To show his love and mercy. You know, maybe even win a soul through the, the loaning or helping someone out in some way. Now then, we though we have to ask the question, because sometimes this can come up, do we lend someone to like buy drugs or do something harmful to themselves? No. I mean, Cookie's like immediately, no. <laughs> and that's right. That's right. We shouldn't be loaning or giving somebody something that's just going to further them hurting themselves, right? Yes. That's like these people that sit down around Walmart and wanting money. Yes. I don't give to them because I don't know what they're going to do with it. Right. You don't know what they're going to do with it. If, if they need... Food, you could always go buy food for them, right? So there's ways to work around that. Yes, Matt? To that point, if you have time and you have the ability to give, say, let's go into Walmart and let's buy your groceries. Right. And and, and in my experience, sometimes they will. But usually, no, I need need money for for X, Y, and Z or whatever. Or if they need gasoline. Let's go. Let's right, go buy gas, right? If you really need gasoline, let's get that. Yeah. <laughs> but sometimes it's, you know, there's all these excuses and reasons why not. And that's a that's a good practice to have is to if that if you're not sure, you don't know the person, you don't really know their need and you say, "Well, what do you need? I'll help you get that." You know, I'll help you get food or gas or whatever I, I might be able to help you with rather than just giving them the money if you think if there's reason to think that 
you know, they're going to do something or you just don't know what they're going to do with it and you don't want it abused, right? But there's ways to do that in love and, and to be kind to someone still. And if someone really needs food and groceries, yeah, they'll go, they'll go with you into the grocery store and show you what they need. Yeah, certainly they will. Um, so kind of have to use discernment and love in those situations. I know it can be hard nowadays because we, a lot of times we feel like people are trying to trick us, right? So. But here, just to summarize these verses here quickly, um, the main idea is that we do not retaliate to the person um, in our dealings with other people. Remember, this is a, an individual type of thing. This isn't trying to, Jesus is not trying to override the federal law or the state law. He's given us rules that we should be living by. You know, be humble, do not respond to insults. Give more to those who would take from you. Help someone more than is required. Help those who ask you. And loan expecting nothing in return. That's kind of my quick summary. I think all that agrees with what Jesus is teaching us here. Does anybody have anything else on that? Um, I do want us to look at one more thing. For um, Jesus, uh, God, is talking to Israel and talking about them being rebellious. But this gives us an example of God's justice to us. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. Therefore, the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you, and therefore he will be exalted that he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. So if we look at this verse, what justice is God offering to Israel and also to us if we're rebellious sinners, which we all are in some way or have been? You'll notice the things he mentions here, the justice he's offering is grace and mercy. And of course, this is implying that we turn to him, right? He's waiting for us to turn to him. He was waiting for Israel to return to him, to repent and come back to him. So the word for grace here, it means to show favor. It means to like kind of bend in kindness to an inferior. It's like how you might treat a child. You, you kind of bend down to them. You reach down to them to be nice to them. And then the word for mercy means to have compassion, love, to feel for that person. And both of the words really do lend themselves to mercy and pity. And that's God's justice to his children. And this does lead us into the next verses. Does anybody have anything on that before we move forward? Yes. It seems like our responsibility here is to be patient and trust him. Wait. We should follow the Lord's example, right? God's example. So yes. And it says blessed for those who wait for him. Right? We should be, we should be serving and waiting on him. Sometimes that can mean actual waiting. Sometimes I think of it as serving, kind of like a waiter, you know. It's kind of got that idea to it both ways. So if we look at our next verses. Now, oh, and here is kind of the theme, and that's kind of a silly picture, but you get the idea, you know. Just kind of love your enemies. And that's kind of the theme of these next verses. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, 
verses 43 through 48. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect, <clears throat> excuse me, therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Notice he uses, in, in my translation at least, they use the, the tax collectors twice as the object of being a bad person, right? And that's just how they felt about tax collectors. So just want to mention that. So first, though, Jesus references the law, right? He says, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now notice he says, you have heard that it was said. Well, I believe the verse that he's really referencing is Leviticus 19, verse 18. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, what does this remind you of? What does this sound like? Well, yeah, okay. It sounds like vengeance is mine, right? We're not to take vengeance. Vengeance is the Lord's. And it kind of also reminds us of um, loving your neighbor as yourself, which Jesus says later, right? Or says in other places throughout the New Testament, throughout uh, the Gospels. And uh, it kind of lends itself to the previous verses, you know, do not retaliate or take vengeance again. Kind of goes along with that. The, the one thing, though, is does this verse say hate your enemy? It doesn't, does it? Now, that's because that was an addition or an interpretation of the leaders of the time. That wasn't really what God said. I, I had, I, I did try to find something that would say this so that we would have that. The closest thing I could find to this is in Psalm 139, 19 through 22, where it says, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men. For they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. But whose enemies are they, really? Yes. Right. Right, they're evil, they're wicked, but they're God's enemies. They're not necessarily our enemies. Yes, Shirley? I have read this passage so many times. Verse 22, and I'm glad this was brought up because I do not understand what is perfect hatred. Well, perfect hatred. I did not look at that specifically, but 
I hate them with right. I, I would imagine that is he hates the sin of them, not really like we don't really for us, we don't really hate the person, we hate the sin. And so yes, Rachel. Perhaps the perfect in this context means complete. It could mean complete, it could mean mature. There is a case coming up where I was going to mention that. It could just mean it's complete or mature hatred. You know, it's a kind of a godly thing. Um, again, I would have to look at that specifically, and I did not look at those to see exactly what that is. I will, I will do that. But it, and he says, I count them my enemies. And I think that's just because he's taking God's side. Yes. Well, in looking at all these verses, they're speaking about someone that is taking God's name in vain. Yep. And if they continually do that day in, day out, um, and you hate them. I mean, you, you just hate them. You we don't do. like to listen to that. Right. Um, because they're hating God. In, in all reality, they have a hate for God. Right, and we find that very offensive when people are being hateful toward God. Continually. Yes. And then we come up with, I hate them. I hate them with perfect hatred. So is it, so my thoughts with that, when I read all that, when I read all that, I'm thinking, okay, it's okay to hate that. I guess we should not be hating the individual. Right. That's how I always look at that. When we hate those actions, and so we stand with God, even against that person, but we're not necessarily saying that we really hate that person to the point that we're going to condemn them or anything like that. For one, we're not God. I can't condemn anyone anyway. But but we hate the sin, but we hate the sin right? And so, and we still we still stand with God. Yes, man. Of course, this is the Psalm of David, and David was a warrior. Yes. You know, he's actually going out in battle against these other nations who are against the Lord. And so that's sort of the context, I think, where he's against these nations who are against God, uh, physically, actually, you know, fighting them. <laughs> right. Now the, so we're not called to do, to do that today. Right. And there is a difference in that, in that they are establishing and David was defending the nation. Now, like, when you look at that from a warrior standpoint... If someone's trying to invade your country to kill your countrymen, your family, your friends, you, to fight them, you may actually feel that hatred. I, I'm not saying that we should hate them, but at the same time, you still want to defend your country, your family, your friends. And that is what, if this is, I, I wasn't even sure if I had looked to see if this was from David, but if it's, you know, if it's David, like Matt's saying, then yeah, he was a warrior and king protecting his nation. And we have to roll back into the Old Testament and look at the fact that that's a different situation. They, they needed to establish their nation. They had to, ha I mean, they had to get rid of certain enemies that were coming against them that even today we see those enemies would gladly wipe them off the map, just kill them all, even today. They would kill everybody that lives in Israel even now. And Israel is not what it was back then, but they would. It is a Psalm of David, yes. Okay, so so it is a Psalm of David, and yeah, I mean, from that standpoint, and back then in that testament, in that covenant, and what he's trying to do to protect his nation, 
really a different situation than we find ourselves in or that we're called to be right now. Does that help? Is that? Okay. Well, that might be, yeah. Yeah, that might be. That's not a bad idea. So, but again, coming back to our verse where he says, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. The experts in the law at the time were giving them the incorrect message, really, the mis giving them a misinterpretation. They were to love their neighbor, but God didn't say you had to hate your enemy, right? And especially in the way that Jesus is talking about it, he's talking about us as a community in our community. Well, if you go one verse further, it explains itself. Yes, and he does go, he does continue on, right? Now, I do want to look at one verse further. We do want to look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. There's some translation difference here. If you look at the New King James Version, it has a lot more. Most of the other versions have a short, much shorter verse saying, uh, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. But the King James and the New King James, there might have been a few others, they go into different things. They say quite a bit more. I think it all enforces the same point, but it does say quite a bit more, and I kind of stuck with that. Now, the funny thing is, in this issue, I look at two different interlinears online, and they disagreed as well. One agreed with the, the New American Standard Version, and one agreed with the Old King James Version. So, what can I say? Um, that's just the scrolls they're pulling from, or whatever. Uh, I guess there was some difference, but I just want to mention that. I decided to stick with the older, well-known King James Version because I really think it, it hammers the point home. So, what are the actions here that Jesus tells us to take in verse 44? Pray for them, Pray for them right? What else? What'd you say? Love them, right? And, and that's the essence, right? Even if you just say those two, if you don't look at the older translation, you say that's the essence. Love. Now, the older translation says to bless and do good and then pray for them, right? Now, what kind of love are we referring to? We're talking about the uh, godly love, right? What a lot of people you'll hear is called agape. It's from the, the Greek word. And it's, it's godly love. It's us choosing to care about someone else and caring enough to actually help them. And it's, it's a choice. It's not really a mental thing. I mean, an emotional thing, but it's a mental choice to love them, to care about them. And it's active. You actively help them. Your enemy, your neighbor, your family, whoever. And God's love, put simply, is a decision to do good for another person to put their need first before your own. That's really, try to, try to say that as simply as possible. It's a choice, and it leads us to action. And in that sense, it kind of reminds me of Jesus and salvation. It's a choice that leads to action, right? You choose, you believe, 
and you and it leads you to action. So let's see. Um, so that's love. That's the love part of that action. Now, still again, looking at the older translation, bless. What does that mean? If we bless someone. And, and the way it's used here is to speak well of, to praise them, right? And also, it, there's also that feeling that... Uh, that definition of like you're doing something good for them, like we're going to look at too, do good. But how hard is this to bless someone who's cursing you? Very hard. Right? Very, very hard. It's very hard when someone is treating you badly to treat them well. That's a difficult thing that we struggle with. That's understandable. But what might be the benefit to this, to bless someone cursing you? Yes. Well, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, but it takes my mind back to what we talked about. Uh, a mile, go a second mile. You know, that's, that's your enemy. We don't want those Roman soldiers, those invaders. You know, um, we're we're told to hate our enemy, but Jesus is telling us to, to love them. So we're, it's a practical matter that we um, love love them, even our enemy. Right. It's a practical matter that we love our enemy, right, and be a blessing to them. Did you have something, Eddie? Well, it's also good for us. It forces yep. us to do God's will because that's the right thing to do. I mean, you know, we can go over and say, no, they're not enemy. I just ignore them. Or I that's yeah. not the way God meant this. Right. It's if It forces us to do God's will, to do something good for them. And I believe it makes us think of something good about that person or it makes us think of that person and to see them as more than just an enemy or a person against us. But because we tend to dehumanize our enemies, you know, we tend to think of there are a bunch of animals or dogs. You can see, see that in some of the verses in the, in the New Testament. But we tend to think of dehumanizing our enemies. But here, I think we're being encouraged actually to humanize them, right? To see them as a person, understand they have the same flaws we do. And I think that goes into all of these things here. Yes? This love that we're supposed to have, it's an action, too. And if we read James 2, verses 15 and 16, we can see that love in action. Right. We are supposed to have action in our love, right? Because you can't, if you're just, that was two, if all you... If all you do is talk love and you don't actually do anything, that's not very helpful, right? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, this is James chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. And one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? And thus faith by itself does not, if it does not have works, is dead. Reading that next verse, love is very much the same way. Do we really love someone if we're not helping them or doing something for them? It's an action, right? Yeah. Faith and love are both actions. They, it require, they require action on our part. So our time is up for this morning. We'll pick up here next week. I want to thank you for your time and your attention.